Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Folks, if you're a fan of this show, you know that I have, uh, what, like 78 kids. I've lost track. That means... I uh, don't have a lot of time for fun and games, that fabled free time that some of you have to do things that just do, you know, nothing but bring a smile to your face. I don't know what that's like, but when I do have some hard-earned fun, I add some joy to my daily routine with Best Fiends, the puzzle adventure game that you won't be able to put down. I myself just finished level 67, Pharaoh's Plateau. I'm in the desert and using all my different fiends to take down the slug. Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. There are dozens of unique fiends to collect, so you can customize your team of fiends to defeat menacing slugs. Power up your favorite fiends to new levels for even more powerful skills and watch them transform as they get stronger. And with offline play, you'll never be stranded without fun, even if you lose your internet connection. Brand new events and challenges pop up all year round, so you've always got a chance to earn exclusive in-game items, characters, and rewards. Listen, you've earned your fun time. Go to the App Store or Google Play to download Best Fiends for free. Plus... Earn even more with five bucks worth of in-game rewards when you reach level five. That's friends without the R, best fiends. Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake, the show where we go deep, we get weird, and we search for the meaning of life along the way. Presented by Cast Media and Soul Pancake. Milkshakers, hello, it's me, Rain Wilson. Love, love, love. Love, love, love. Reza, um, we're never going to be able to clear that song, okay? Uh, uh, that you just uh, cost us like $150,000. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm brimming with love, Rain. I just got back from a weekend couples retreat with my wife. I learned how to build our relationship, how to be closer to each other. I'm just, I'm bubbling over with love and affection. Um, you're kind of grossing me out because when you bubble over with love, your 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 sinewy torso writhes <laughs> in, a, in a way that kind of made me throw up in my mouth a little That's bit. That's just my love language, yo. Okay, but don't touch your nipples right now, okay, please. <laughs> What, now, what are you talking about? You went on, you have a great marriage. Your marriage is wonderful. We are, I have the greatest marriage. I have the greatest wife. And, uh, you know, we just decided, hey, let's make this even better. Let's, let's go from A to A plus relationship. So we traveled all the way to the Orcas Island, in the middle of fucking nowhere in Washington State. And we went to the home of John and Julie Gottman. You know the Gottmans? Have you ever heard of the Gottmans? 
Rain? I have heard of the Gottmans, yes. They're infamous marriage uh, counselors That's and right. psychologists and authors. They've been, they're like in their 80s. I mean, they literally wrote the book. Actually, they wrote 40 books on relationships, how to build relationships. And, uh, you know, we just went there for like a little refresher and we came back. Uh, I feel like I've got like a master's degree in love right now. Uh, so what did you uh, what did you learn? Well... I learned mostly how to deal with conflict, right? How to deal with conflict, which actually, I got to be honest, like I, 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 I think it's going to help us in our relationship. Okay. Um, we, don't, we don't have any issues, I don't think. I think we get along pretty well. I think we work together great as a team. What, what are you saying that we can improve? I, th I think our connection, our sense of connection could be a little bit stronger. I think our, okay, you know. Okay, fine. What? How do we connect deeper, well, Reza? Uh, well, first of all, I notice that you're getting a little defensive. Okay, a little bit. I'm okay. a little defensive. Uh, I don't. There's no need for defensiveness, uh, and you certainly don't need to stonewall. Uh, you know, this is. I'm not giving you any criticism here. I'm certainly not showing you any contempt. Those are the four horsemen of the apocalypse, according to John Gottman, the death of relationships. Uh, and, wow. Okay. You know. I'm just, I, I'm just here. I'm just here to help you be the best version of yourself, Rain. That's that's what I have learned. Well, then sometimes just shut the fuck up <laughs> and <laughs> let me ask some motherfucking questions to the guests, okay? So what I hear you saying is that you no want one, me oh, to God, shut the fuck up. Okay. I hear that. I accept that. You are r rapidly building contempt right now. <laughs> this is really not working. You know what? This is not working. We need to bring on our guest because uh, we have an incredible guest who is going to dig deep in and really, truly help us all connect better, uh, find uh, solutions for loneliness, have deeper friendships. Eric Barker is here. And Ooh, he's, Eric he's here Barker. To get, help us get to the bottom of all of this. So Eric Barker blogged for years about human behavior and self-improvement science. He's got over half a million subscribers to his weekly newsletter. Uh, he's a former Hollywood screenwriter. He's worked on projects for Walt Disney and Fox and other studios. He wrote a Wall Street Journal bestseller called Barking Up is Barker, Barking Up the Wrong Tree. Sold over half a million copies. It's been translated into 19 languages. And this book, uh, Plays Well with Others, is um, getting to the core of human relationships. Which, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm already at the core, Rain. I don't, I don't really, if it's cool with you, I think I'll just, uh, I'll sit this podcast out. Because I feel like I You'll know all this out. stuff. I need this one. I feel like you I'm obviously don't. I think you should just sing and writhe your little torso over in Glendale or wherever the hell you live. You talk to Eric Barker, I will play with my nipples. Eric! It's great to be here. You look like you're in a in a padded room somewhere. Did they let you out of the straitjacket for this interview? Uh, it's, 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 it's a weekend pass. This is what happens when you write about relationships. You know, eventually you start to lose it, and then they just, like, throw you into a padded cell. That's it. That's it. I will tell you, though, that it is not the weekend. So uh, what happened? <laughs> I filed for the extension, but we'll, we'll see what we'll see what comes back. Um, listen, we absolutely love this book. Plays well with others. Eric Barker, 
Um, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm not all the way through it. It, it is, uh, it's fascinating and funny. It is chock a block with examples and science. You did so much work on this book. And the reason I say I'm not finished with it yet is at the end, you promised the meaning of life. So we're going to get to that later. We're going to get to that at the end, a little bit more on the meaning of life. But whatever, it's fine. We'll keep going. (laughs) But uh, nonetheless, um, I'm just going to ask a boring old softball question. But what prompted this book? I mean, there's so many incredible ideas you delve into you know, you you get into these tropes and sayings and truisms about human interaction and psychology, like can you judge a book by its cover? Is a friend in need truly a friend indeed? Does love conquer all? Is no man an island? And then you really dig deep in um, in so many ways into those primal questions. But what prompted this this journey? It's an incredible journey that you've undertaken. Oh, thank you. I, I mean, I, I took the structure of it. My first book was about success and I took the maxims of success. Do nice guys finish last? Is it what you know or who you know? You know, and kind of stress tested those. I, I was a big fan of Mythbusters. So I, I kind of stress tested those, looked at the social science and said, is this true? And, you know, for follow up, I, like Freud basically said that the two key elements were kind of like, you know, work and love were the two key elements of life. And I handled like work and success. So I figured I'd look at relationships. And frankly, I'd never been like really great with relationships. Mm -hmm. So I thought it'd be good. And then what was crazy was literally two weeks after I closed the deal for the book, uh, California lockdown for the pandemic. And I realized, oh, like, People are going to, I'm not the only one who's going to need this book. People are going to need this book. So it kind of, I became a man on a mission. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are definitely in that place where we all could use a little bit of guidance about, you know, how to just even be in public, let alone go back to uh, having meaningful uh, relationships again. But one of the things that's really cool about this is that a lot of it is about the science behind, you know, relationships. Like this isn't just you kind of, you know, spouting off. It's not It's not like just a, a self-help or advice, you know, yeah. how to get laid by Eric Barker. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll we'll talk offline. We'll talk offline about that. Okay. I, All right. But uh, but tell us a little bit about kind of uh, how you dug into all all the science and the research and the data that that you provide in this book. I mean, I I've been looking at you know like social science research on my blog for like thirteen years now, so that's been a help. But I had to I had to really wait 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 wait, wait wait a a blog a blog. What is this? Is this 2007? You, you've probably heard of the Stone Age and the Iron yeah. Age. And there's the blog age is this really narrow area pre-TikTok. Is and, your blog uh, on GeoCities? Uh, no, no, no. It's, uh, it's, it's only on AOL. AOL, not Tumblr. Okay, okay. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I, so I, but I had, I had to dig a lot deeper and like so much of this was the reading and, and it was crazy how lopsided it was because like for love and marriage, the, the problem was there's so much, there's just so much. And then I'm like, well, finally, wow, I did all the like love and marriage reading. And then I go to look at friendship and it's the complete reverse. Like there's no institution for friendship. There's no friendship therapists. So there's not a lot of research on friendship. 
And so I really, I really had to, to dig. I mean, I, I even went back to start looking at Aristotle and philosophy to try and to try and get some answers. But I, I did end up finding research, but it was tricky. And we weren't quite sure when we started this, what is the life's big question that we wanted to dig into with you? I mean, we talked about loneliness, but we'd done another episode on loneliness. We wanted to talk about friendships, but we just did an episode on friendships with Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey from The Office. But it seems like the, the heart of your book is just about human connection. And you launch with this a wonderful story about learning hostage negotiation techniques (laughs) and then how that transfers to, to marriage and human interaction. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's funny because so much of the, the, the literature in terms of like marriage and family therapy and stuff always emphasizes active listening. And I went, I trained with the NYPD hostage negotiation team and they use active listening and can I was you, like, can you explain is, active listening to the to to our active that, listeners, to uh, our yes. not so active listeners? Basically, yeah, basically, it's you know, it's listening to what the person says, you know, acknowledging it, you know, repeating back to them, you know, what you what you heard from them. Basically, instead of telling somebody I hear you, you're demonstrating, you know, I I heard you. You are making it clear, demonstrably, that you're listening, you're paying attention, you're you're you're. You're, you're mirroring back to them their thoughts, paraphrasing them so that they really feel understood and that this starts to escalate towards a level of rapport. Mm. And what's really funny about it was I went hostage negotiation team. I, it's, I see this, you know, in practice, it's really awesome. And then afterwards, the negotiators are like, oh, by the way, you know, this, this isn't going to work at home with your spouse. And I was like, what? And then I dug into the research and sure enough, you know, active listening is great when you're a third party, when you're a hostage negotiator or a therapist, when you're removed from it. But when you're the subject of the fight, when you're in the middle of the argument, you know, again, like active listening would be a good idea, but most people can't do it when accusations are getting thrown at them. So it sounds great and it would be great, but most people, practically speaking, can't do it. Is there is there something that you learned in that process that actually did help? Yeah. I mean, what was what was really critical? This is research by John Gottman is there were he has done an insane amount of research on love and marriage. And he found, you know, four critical things in conversations that you know, are highly correlated with divorce, like over the 85% level. The four, the four and, horsemen of the apocalypse. <laughs> four horsemen of the relationship apocalypse. That was a little yeah. Bit. yeah. Yeah. And those were criticism, defensiveness, stonewalling, and contempt. And basically, you, as everybody says, you do need to communicate. And complaining is okay. Most people are afraid if they complain, the relationship's going to dissolve. But Complaining that you have to do it to raise issues. That's fine. Most marriages don't end because of screaming matches. They end because people stop communicating and they live parallel lives. So complaining is good. Criticism is when you make the complaint personal, when you attack the other person's character. Criticism is bad. Defensiveness is when somebody makes an accusation and you respond with an accusation and the conflict just escalates. You know, then defensive, that's defensiveness. Stonewalling is when you just shut down, when somebody raises something and you just don't respond and that's taken as dismissiveness. 
And contempt is when you see your partner on a lower level than you. And contempt is the worst. Contempt, Gottman called it sulfuric acid for love. You know, uh, I mentioned this uh, at the top of the show, but I just got back from a weekend at John Gottman's house. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Uh, My wife and I uh, went there. And one of the things that's really funny about him, because if you're, you know, those who are unfamiliar with with the Gottmans, John and Julie Gottmans, they're like the, you know, the godfathers of relationship. He's written like 40 books or whatever. You know, they're really, they're really sort of the... The, the first couple uh, of of relationships, but it but it should be noted it should be noted that their stuff is based really on science. It's and all research, yeah, exactly. Studying so many couples and documenting their arguments, and you know, couples that come in, ones that get divorced versus ones that don't. He's really able to accurately predict um, what couples are going to end up together and 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 separate. Um, I'm just trying to underline that there's a whole kind of library of research under the stuff that he's done. Gottman actually, his, he previously was actually a mathematician. I mean, like far from being fluffy, he came from the most rigorous of rigor in terms of disciplines and then used that, that incredible knowledge of like math, statistics and everything and turned it towards relationships. No one knows what you're looking for in a doctor better than you. And no one's better at giving you the tools to find the perfect doctor then ZocDoc. The people who created ZocDoc found the major pain points in healthcare. It's all the things that weren't working and said enough. And they made booking a great doctor surprisingly pain free. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient reviewed. They take your insurance and are available when you need them. You can read up on local doctors, get verified patient reviews and see what other real humans had to say about their visit. So when you walk into that doctor's office, you're set up to see someone in your network who gets you. This is how I found my doctor, Rain. I've seen her like four or five times. I love her. She's now my primary care physician. Thank you, ZocDoc. So find the doctor that is right for you. Book an appointment that works for your schedule. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc. And we are some of those millions. It's our go-to whenever we need to find and book a doctor. So in the chaotic world of healthcare, let ZocDoc be your trusted guide to find a quality doctor. It's pain-free. Go to ZocDoc.com milkshake and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's zocdoc.com slash milkshake. zocdoc.com slash milkshake. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. One of the things Reza and I are really fascinated about, and we have some 
follow-up questions about social media and, and whatnot coming is this contemporary disconnection that I think we all feel that social scientists and psychologists write about. Um, E.M. Forster says only connect. Um, we're in this mental health epidemic with young people mm. that um, is absolutely devastating. Can you tell us a little bit about what you learned about the kind of the history of disconnection and loneliness uh, in the modern world? Yeah, this is this is a lot, but I spent I spent a lot of time looking at the history, and it was fascinating. Uh, basically, you know, uh, Thea Alberti is a historian at the University of York, and she said basically before the 19th century, loneliness didn't exist. Hmm. That's an exaggeration, but not by much. You know, basically before the 19th century, we were all embedded in communities, religions, tribes, groups, nations. There were really these strong aspects of community. And we always felt a level of connection because for the most part, historically, for the vast majority of human existence, you couldn't survive without other people. So you were always embedded in a group. Now, for the first time, you can live pretty separated from others. And as humans, we tend to take the easy way. And it's now harder. Like We have to make a proactive effort to connect with others. And that's where the, the trickiness is coming from. But so 19th century, we saw that shift. you know. And then in the 20th century, uh, there was a book by Robert Putnam, a professor at Harvard, called Bowling Alone. And he talked about how in the second half of the 20th century, we saw... You know, people used to think about like the Elk Lodge and bowling leagues and and that doesn't that almost seems archaic now. And he tracked what happened and he tracked a lot of it in the 20th century, second half of the 20th century to television. Basically, that we were experiencing parasocial relationships. Mm -hmm. We were getting a lot of our our community from TV, which is you know kind of one way. And then in 2008, when the writer's strike happened, there was a research study there. And they found that for a lot of people, when shows went off the air, it was like a breakup. That was the emotional equivalent for people because they had developed these, these, their kinships with television characters. Now, in the 21st century, we have social media, which again, you see some studies say positive, some studies say negative. But the issue is that we only have so many hours in a day for the social budget. And if it's all going to Instagram, it's not going to face to face. And there are real negatives in that because we don't get the same things from online connection that we do from face to face. Mm. One of the things I'm doing this summer as we're recording these episodes is I, I'm literally, Eric, I have the greatest job. You, you probably know Eric Weiner and the, the Geography of Bliss, yes. his book, which is very much in line with the kind of stuff that you do. So we, we've built a TV show around that concept. I'm traveling around the world. Cool looking for happiness okay. and what can we learn from other cultures and communities yeah. that have maybe something a little bit more figured out about happiness that we don't have here. And what can I rain personally learn along the way? So far we've gone to Iceland and Bulgaria and Ghana, I'm off to Thailand and Japan next. And, um, it's a fascinating journey. Um, but let's get a little more specific you know, there's this American narrative that did start in the 18th and 19th centuries, which is, you know, don't tread on me, right? Kind of uh, mm -hmm. rugged individualism. Um, 
So how much of our particular American disconnect is a byproduct of some kind of national mythology or national identity? That's a good question. I, I didn't delve too much into the specific politics angle, but what was interesting, you know, to your point, is that issue of individualism. And that's one of the things Faye Alberti talked about is that word didn't really get used in the same way until the 19th century. And America certainly has an emphasis on individualism. And what's what's critical, the a lot of the misunderstanding a lot of us make when it comes to loneliness is that we think it's about spending time with other people. But John Cacioppo, who's the leading researcher on loneliness, he did a study and found that lonely people don't spend any less time with others than non-lonely people do, which sounds crazy. But we all we have all felt lonely in a crowd, you know, and, and we've all gone on trips and not felt horribly lonely. The, the issue is loneliness is how you feel about your relationships. And so that issue of individualism, of feeling and that's what loneliness is, because when you're you when you perceive, hey, I have connections, I feel other people care about me, then you have what's called solitude, which is a positive. Vivek Murthy has said solitude is a positive. Mm -hmm. Loneliness, meanwhile, is correlated with every negative health metric you can imagine. But the distinction between the two isn't necessarily the proximity of other people. It's how you feel about the connection. But that issue of individualism, when we feel you know, more apart, more distant, more separate, that's harmful when we don't see ourselves as part of a group. And Brett Ford at University of Berkeley has done research on this. And to your point about looking around the world in terms of happiness, she said one thing about America is we think of happiness from an individualistic perspective. So we always think, what do I have to do? What do I have to get? How much money do I have to make? Meanwhile, especially in Eastern cultures, the perception of happiness is communal, is as a group. And so that is very effective. In America, we have the perspective of individualistic happiness, and that takes us the wrong direction. It actually really doesn't work in general. If we're going to pursue happiness, we need to do it from that group perspective, not the individualistic one. Yeah, it's really fascinating that you you talk about that, you know, the difference between this sort of individualistic um society that we live in and communal societies, not just in Asia, but in the Middle East, Latin America, Africa, fuck everywhere, everywhere else, basically. Um, and I like, I like what you're saying here, this idea that loneliness isn't about the amount of time you spend with people, but about the, the quality of, of your connections with those around you. At the same time, of course, we are more alone and individualistic than we've ever been. Um, there's a survey here that, that says that in 1921% of the U.S. population lived alone. And today, one in seven Americans, so one quarter of all U.S. households, are just one person. And the pandemic, as we were kind of you know joking about earlier, has obviously made that so much worse, right? It we've we've read so much, and certainly Rand and I have talked so much about the the health consequences of um, loneliness. The, the pandemic has has created a real sort of mental health emergency um, in the United States. What did you discover when it comes to those kinds of both physical health and mental health? Uh, uh, consequences of a lack of connection? I mean, what was most fascinating to me was the neuroscience studies that when people feel lonely, their brains scan for threats twice as fast, which 
you know, from a from a historical context in our ancestral environment, you know, makes sense. If you don't think help is coming, you better be on the lookout for danger. But obviously, that's not very conducive to happiness, you know, to constantly be looking for the negative. That's probably the opposite of most happiness advice. That's incredible. Yeah. The neuroscience of like when you are lonely, you're 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 scanning for threats twice as much. And it, my mind reels like because you don't have community, you don't have people no around watching you back. watching your back. Um, and then what happens when you're lonely and you're scanning for threats is anxiety. And this because anxiety is kind of the touchstone of kind of young America these days. Everyone has an anxiety disorder. Uh, I have an anxiety disorder, but and, and it it must come from that essential, you know, looking for threats that aren't really there. So this feeling of impending doom um, that is incessant. Um, but I, I just think that's uh, that's absolutely incredible. So it. That just reveals so much to me. I hadn't heard that statistic before. No, it's it's fascinating because the I was blown away because the other thing is it's like that's it's not even conscious. You know, it's like this is the work they do in an fMRI where people aren't even really aware of it. It's just boom, their brain is able to yeah. you know detect and see the negative twice wow. as quickly. It's operating beneath the surface. You wouldn't even be conscious of it. You're just going to have, like you said, that ever-present kind of hum of anxiety. And we, you know, we try to alleviate this. Again, we, we go to the quick and easy way, which, you know, can often be, you know, TV or social media. But it was fascinating to me to see that when they did a study of uh, cancer support groups, when they surveyed people who did them online, uh, almost everyone in the group was dealing with depression, you know, most of like at the clinical level. And when they surveyed people who were in face-to-face -face groups, almost none of them are. You know, there's something in that face-to-face -face, in being with a community and really feeling like we're there, as opposed to having that that artificial gap, you know, between us. It's it's really that issue of I talk a lot about friendship, but there's also, to your point, the issue of community. And one study that blew me away. This was just from 2020, was that if you have five friends, you know, you're going to feel supported, you're going to feel, you know, cared for. But the difference is, if those five friends know each other, you're going to feel even more supported, you're going to feel mm. even happier, same amount of friends, on average, same amount of support. But when those friends know each other, now it shifts from one on one friendships to more of a community, your friends can say, Hey, you know, Rain's feeling down. We should throw a party for him. We should take him out. They can coordinate. They can do things. Those are the abilities that a community has that one-on-one -on -one friendships don't. And we've lost a lot of that. And there, there's so much there that we, we often don't think about. You tell a lot of stories in the book about other people. Uh, let's talk about your, your stories here. Tell us about your, your relationship history, the good, the bad, the ugly, and, and what like writing this book kind of taught you in, 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 when it comes to actually having the kind of healthy uh, connections uh, that you, you write about uh, that are so important in the book. I mean, you know, again, I was never really good with relationships. Basically, uh, when psychologists study personality, they look at the big five personality traits, one of which is agreeableness. 
And uh, out of a possible 100, I scored a four. So um, that, wow. that in, yeah, I wow. mean, hey, you know, good, really impressive stuff. But like, it's kind of comical because like, you know, what makes it difficult where I'm always kind of challenging things, questioning things. And so some of the things that I think have, you know, helped me do well in terms of my writing and this Mythbusters, you know, maxim crushing approach to, to uh, science there's some of the same things that have, you know, caused me problems in my yeah. relationships is that I'm not very easygoing. I'm, I'm kind <laughs> of, you know, quick to question and challenge and be skeptical. And I, I could probably calm down a little bit in terms of that. But, you know, what I learned in terms, I'm already applying things in terms of like with my friendships, you know, knowing that time and vulnerability are critical. And those are two things I never really focused on. I never like made a lot of time for it. And I certainly wasn't good at opening up. And in the process of like delving into some of this science and and some of this research, do you think that that's made you uh, better at forming and maintaining relationships? I mean, it. The, the crazy thing was that like I'm writing <laughs> I'm already, about relationships. Listen, listen, Eric. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm already uh, skeptical about your answer. Like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it was like, it was very funny to be reading all this relationship research when I was locked down for the pandemic. So I'm like <laughs> sitting here reading about, here's how not having good relationships will kill you. And meanwhile, I can't leave the house. Uh, so it was like the best time to learn because mm -hmm. I didn't have anything else to do, but it was the worst time to practice. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> right. So I haven't been able to full on apply these things because between the research and the book, but I'm, I'm looking forward to and yes. the small steps I have taken have, have shown results. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. One thing we talk a lot about on the show is social media and how it connects to loneliness, how it connects to anxiety and, uh, you know, our, our current kind of modern state of being. Um, and you mentioned it briefly before, parasocial relationships, this idea that you have a relationship, you had mentioned a TV show, um, yeah. but but now on social media, you have relationships with the people you follow and you like yeah. and you friend, and sometimes they friend you and sometimes they don't, but it's, it, it's a false kind of friendship. Now we've dug into the evils of social media a lot on this show, but you also have some surprising things to say about what we can learn from social media and the yeah. benefits of it and, and what, uh, and what they might bring. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, if you do have healthy relationships and some of your friends live far away, you know, then, Hey, great. That allows you to stay in touch. You know, that's fine. It's like, if you don't live nearby somebody, zoom calls can, can be great. 
you know, the, the real issue that's clear, you know, because there are some positives, there are some negatives, the real issues that are clear is when social media cannibalizes face-to-face time, it's a problem. You know, when when we use it to amplify, you know, our relationships, if you're using, you know, if you're using Instagram to message with somebody and set up a time to get together for coffee, hey, that's fantastic. If you use Instagram to see that your friend had a new baby and then you call them or go see them now again, you know, it's, it's an unalloyed positive. You know, it is helping you to connect with them, be, you know, be aware of what's going on with them. The issue is we just don't want it to completely take over the limited amount of social time that we have. You know, we don't want it to become a replacement. I, 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 in the book, I analogize it to dessert where it's like, you know, dessert's great, dessert's tasty, but if you eat chocolate cake for every meal, then it's replacing real food and that's a bad idea. What do you think we're headed as a society now with this current trend that we're talking about uh, toward even greater and greater disconnection, whether it's because of, you know, the pandemic or social media or just, you know, rampant Americanism or, you know, all the, the other issues that are that are involved here. But I, I think we all agree that we are becoming increasingly more disconnected. What, what do you think is the future as that continues? To me, I think, ironically, the, the issue is a lot of the institutions and connections that we had in the past broke down. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes those weren't so great, you know, and some of them have strengthened, you know, which in some ways is a positive. In other ways, we often, you know, talk about the issue of tribalism. You know, the issue is we need to find more ways to connect. We can't exclusively rely on a handful because then we get into, you know, in-group, out-group is one of the most fundamental principles in psychology is that when you're part of a group, those out, you treat those outside of it different, those inside of it different. But the issue is if we only have one group, then the people inside it are good and the people outside it can be perceived as very bad. Mm -hmm. But we don't have to only have one group. You know, you have one group, you might have one group in the workplace, you might have one group at home, you might have one group in your neighborhood, you might have one group of old friends. We can expand the number of groups that we are a part of and find, you know, other ways to connect. If that's religion or politics, if that's national, or on the other hand, if it's interest, sports, hobbies, you know, we can find more ways to connect. We just can't retreat into these like one group and, and you know, kind of you know, turn the others into enemies. We need to have multiple groups overlapping so that we have more ways to connect with one another and we don't we don't get caught in these kind of us versus them feuds. Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, the study by, is it George Valant? I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. Uh, Valiant? Va- Va- Val- Valiant? Yeah, yes, Valiant? yes, yes. Okay. Um, and, I, I, and I've read a little bit about the study. It's it's taken place over like like, Five or six decades. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he boils down uh, his study to to one thing about, uh, you know, kind of life boils down to simply our relationships to other people. Um, So in your book, you promise the meaning of life. Now, I know a lot of the listeners haven't read your book. And we really want you to buy the book, everybody. (laughs) Read the whole thing. It's fascinating. If you love uh, stories and psychology and insights, you're going to absolutely dig it. But you do get to 
what you found the meaning of life to be after you dug into so many of these kind of essential fundamental psychological concepts. Do, can we get a sneak peek? Do we, do, can we have a little niblet right now of the meaning of life? <laughs> Come on. A, just a teeny little taste, little taste. Just a, just a little soupçon, a little aperitif. <laughs> and, I, and I really would encourage you to take the time right now and like distill. You had all of these experiments you read, all these books you read, all these parables and like you say, maxims about friendships and connection and loneliness that you dug into. Walk us down that that path, those that trail of these breadcrumbs and how you got to this ultimate, uh, really beautiful kind of synopsis of the meaning of life. I mean, for me, it was like, there's so many facets of the kind of the relationship diamond, you know, and and I, and I don't have, uh, you know, a, a hotline to metaphysical truth. So I was, you know, I was kind of concerned, like what this, but it came down to, you know, two specific studies by uh, a great researcher, Roy Baumeister at FSU. And what he found was the issue of what, what, what quality promotes a feeling of meaning in life. In other words, when, when X happens to us or we feel X, when do we most feel that life has meaning and that there's meaning for us? And that it would be causal, not just correlated, causal. And what he found was a feeling of belonging. Mm. When we feel we belong, when we feel a part of a group, that we are connected, that others will sacrifice for us, that we will sacrifice for them, that when we have a feeling of belonging, that's when we most feel that there is meaning in life. So in the end, you know, meaning in life, it's like comes down to belonging. We are a social species. And to the degree that you can increase the feeling that you belong, you know, in a group with others and you're connected, you're, you're the amount of meaning in life that you feel will increase. I think that's right. I, that sounds right to me. Doesn't it sound right to you, Rain? It absolutely does. And, but here's the problem. And this may may not be time to dig into this in this particular <laughs> episode, but it it feels tribal. It feels communal. Like when we lived in caves and we lived in valleys and we lived in little human nests, we felt like we belonged. We had a shared mythology, and um, and family and ancestors and stories and a connection to the nature around us. And that's all well and good. But what we see happening in the United States so much is that we have so many warring tribes, so many different tribes that other, the other tribes, um, creating so much discord. So what, how, do, how do we translate that? Does that mean like find your tribe? Is it, is it really that simple? Or, or do we have to think about community building and finding tribal belonging and meaning in a different context, a much larger, more unified context. Because I don't think that that study means like, go find your bowling league with people that look like you and feel your belonging at your church and you all have the same skin color because that's not how the world is working these days. And I think that yeah. so much, again, so much of this, of the disillusion of, of um, kind of, uh, of unity, you know, comes from, so much of our country trying to fiercely defend the tr their tribes that 
worked 50 or 100 years ago and no longer kind of work in the modern day? I don't know. No, I, I, I hear you. I think the, the issue here is what, to your point, what you said about community building, where every community, the, the theme that runs through the book for all relationships, from friendship to marriage to communities, is a story. You know, it's like when, when we feel someone's a friend, our self-identity and our vision of them start to blur. The Venn diagram overlaps. When, when, when I ask you, does, do you have this quality or does your best friend have this quality? You will answer slower than if I asked you about an acquaintance because you have to disentangle yourself from the person you're close to in your mind. That's empathy. That is closeness. When in marriage, Gottman, the way that he divines, he's able to detect within, you know, what, whether a couple will divorce in five years with over 90% accuracy. How he does that is by asking the couple to tell their story. And every community has a story, an origin story, what binds them together. What we need is more stories. Instead of having one story, one tribe, one group, you know, you can get that community from, you know, you know, politics or religion. You can also feel that level of community at Comic-Con. <laughs> you know, it's like we, we, we mm. need to have more groups. We need to not make mm. it mutually exclusive. One group, one tribe. That's the problem when groups just become mutually exclusive, as opposed to having being a part of and feeling belonging from a number of groups where we, we might not share the same religion. We might not, you know, be citizens of the same country. But, hey, we might both be Star Wars fans. You can bond with someone over that and feel a kinship. We, we, we need more stories. We need more ways to connect with others, not one singular one, which excludes all else and screams burn the heretic. So not just connections, but many connections, more yeah. connections, interconnections. Uh, I think that makes sense. Uh, Eric, will you join our group? Uh, the the Resurrain metaphysical milkshake group? Yeah. Absolutely. Same, same time tomorrow. Absolutely. <laughs> it actually is the same time tomorrow. We've got two. We've got two to record tomorrow. We would like it. We would, however, like it if you just keep your mouth shut. Though you can, we'd like you on the Zoom with us, mm -hmm. so we feel like you've got our back and you're supporting us in the making of this podcast. But we don't want you to actually participate. Is that okay? Just that cool? just. Just raise eyebrows and and like occasionally like shake my head. Exactly. Or... Exactly. Okay. Rain Rain likes his uh, podcast guests like he likes his friends. Quiet. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I talk enough for, for several people. So, uh, Eric Barker, this has been such a fascinating conversation. The book is called Plays Well with Others. So many really fun stories in here, some great lessons about how to create uh, relationships um, and how to sustain relationships. And of course, the meaning of life, which you get literally on the second to last page of the book. You forced me to read <laughs> 270 pages before you got to the end there, but it's okay. Uh, I, I, I forgive you for that. Uh, thank you so much for being on the Milkshake Pod. It was great to be here, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks, Eric. It was great. Great conversation. Thank you. Wow, that was really profound. And especially towards the end there, that really got me thinking about oh, loneliness and its connection to anxiety. And uh, the idea that um, 
we have to build a new idea of what a tribe is. We can't just go back to an old way of being in a tribe. Who are your who are your tribes, Reza? What tribe? What tribes are you a part of? What are your communities? Honestly, like nowadays, and we you know, milkshakers know we've mentioned this before. It's kind of just my family nowadays. That's not enough, dude. It's that's not, not going to cut it. That's what people say. That's what people say. I need I need a bigger tribe, people. I need a well, bigger listen, tribe. I went to your birthday party uh, a month or two ago, and it was so nice meeting all of your your friends. I mean, a lot of them were parents at your kid's school, which happens to all of us yeah, when we have kids in elementary true. school. Work all friends. of a sudden, like our friends, our connections are the folks that we meet in the in the parking lot and at the events and at the assemblies and whatnot. Um, but uh, so many great writer friends. Um, that was really cool. Um, I guess my tribes are, well, you know, in my faith community, in the Baha'i faith, that's kind of a, a, a nice tribe. I'm in 12-step recovery, which is a nice Yeah, that's and pretty weird. Deep, deep, meaningful tribe. And, and deep, deep tribe. I got a fantasy football league. Right. Mm. That's a nice little tribe. I'm at, I joined this tennis club up the street. So I have my little, um, very, very white tennis friends and, um, and the office family, we still kind of te text and stay in touch with each other. Well, that's, you that's know, been maybe, maybe nice. what we need to do here is we got to take Eric's advice and like connect our tribes. You know what I'm saying? We need to connect like, our I'll tribes. I'll connect into one of your tribes. You connect into one of yeah. mine. Like, let's see. Mm, never really. Can your family join my fantasy football league? Uh, well, you can join my family. And then I'll join your football league. Will you cook um, Persian food? I mean, every Sunday, my, my man, every Sunday. Every Sunday is kebab night at the Aslan household. Kebab. <laughs> any any fasten June? Uh, you, come, you come over, we'll adopt you as like Uncle Rain, and then I'll make okay. you some Fess and June. That's our connection. And then I'll join your fantasy uh, football tribe because honestly, like I'm not very good at tennis. I, I never really watch an episode of The Office. Is that a show on TV or something? I don't, is that a thing? Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, the rest of your your tribes just you know, not not as appealing, but I will join your fantasy football league and then okay. I will dominate. we're full up right now but i'm sure we're gonna lose a player we got 14 we got 14 players and wow. you are first on the wait list wow wait listed into your tribe football. yeah all right then um so i'll let you know i'll get back to you babe but um truly thank you to eric barker what a what a wonderful conversation um and Folks, we are going to be giving away some copies of Eric's new book, Plays Well with Others. The first five people, okay, listen up. First five people that write a review for Metaphysical Milkshake on Apple Podcasts and email a screenshot of that review to metaphysical at castmedia.com. That's with a K, castmedia.com, will be sent a copy of the book. So get on it, free book, write a review. A glowing review. It doesn't say glowing. It's implicit glowing review. And don't forget, no P.O. boxes and only in America, folks. We can't, we don't have the money to ship you a book in Poland. We can't ship books to Mongolia, people. Okay. Yeah. So listen, if you want more of Life's Big Questions, find us on social media at Reza Aslan and at Rain Wilson on Twitter at Metamilk Podcast and on Instagram at Metaphysical Milkshake. Let us know your life's big questions. 
We would love to explore them on a future episode. And as usual, remember to follow, rate, and review Metaphysical Milkshake on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can subscribe to the Metaphysical Milkshake YouTube channel and watch our full episodes every week. Thanks for listening. Love, love, love. That's like $50,000 right there. Love, love, love. Somebody cut me off before we run out of money. Metaphysical Milkshake is executive produced by Rain Wilson, Reza Aslan, and Colin Thompson. It is produced by Safa Samazadeh Yazd, Harris Lane, Mick DeMaria, Hashem Self, and DJ Lubel. Cast Media is the production and distribution partner. Original music by Jeff Tang. you've learned some things about how to have more effective Zoom and FaceTime communications. <laughs> I, I'm sure you've already felt it. I mean, you, 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 I'm probably giving off so much Zoom-wise right now. You, you, you seem very agreeable to me, not disagreeable. Not, not a disagreeable Like at least a six or a seven out of a hundred. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt. A classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow. But I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters, because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but if you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.